0: This is Squirrel and Moose for September 1st, 2016. I'm Dylan Wilbanks. And I'm Kyle Weems. And we have returned And oh my gosh, we actually did return last week.
1: We did return for reals. I mean, we've been saying that now for what, like 30 unreleased podcasts?
0: Yeah, I mean, we're going to just release a box set at some point.
1: Right, you know, squeeze the lost episodes.
0: We'll do it like, you know, a they all joke about linux's birthday you know happy birthday linux now like, go make your own damn cake
1: right right we could always preserve them in the archives so that way you know upon our deaths hopefully many decades from now uh you know our uh, relatives can try to uh make tons of money off of our fame which we'll naturally have at that point and uh start releasing all our unreleased work oh absolutely know? i mean that's With that that's the only to do it. It. exactly right. I mean really you're not really thinking like a true successful star until you start thinking about posthumous releases. Which uh, if yeah. you think about David Bowie is actually true. Well
0: yes, I mean Bowie and of course we think of all the Tupacs. Yeah, but 20- he didn't plan th- for that. Yeah. Well, how do you know? Okay, how do you I know guess
1: Tupac's m- not alive. Um probably the autopsy, but to be fair, I suppose it could be any look-alike, right? <laughs> the, I, and it was always amusing these, uh, and, and sad, these uh, conspiracy theories on, you know, so-and-so faked her death. Like Elvis. It's like at this point, even if Elvis did fake his death, he'd be getting pretty old. And considering his diet and drug habit, you know, he probably wouldn't have made it. Oh, this yeah. Many decades I, mean, on.
0: I mean, he would be dead
1: by now. You would think, and yet. Well, I mean, just, just, just an old
0: age, for that matter. I mean, would um, it be
1: like 80, ninety something? Well, that's a good question.
0: Now I need to ask the internet. Right, thanks for it, me do internet.
1: This. When was Elvis Presley born? Elvis Presley was born in nineteen
0: thirty-five.
1: So yeah, he—I mean, he'd only be in his eighties. He'd be eighty-one. He'd be eighty-one, and which would be pushing it for Elvis, to be honest.
0: So, given that people of his age on average lived to their 70s. He would have probably died sometime at the start of this decade.
1: Yeah, but I'd also like to point out, you know, there are outliers. But granted, most of them probably didn't eat peanut butter and um, banana sandwiches and do cocaine. Um, He died eight days before I was born. Really? Yeah.
0: That's that's crazy, because I remember as a little kid when Elvis died.
1: I am a bit younger than you, apparently. Apparently you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The year Star Wars came out and Elvis died. that so, uh, you know, ta-da! Me. Well,
0: wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for making me feel old again, dude.
1: Uh, wh- what year were you born, Dylan?
0: 1972.
1: Okay, that's five-year difference. It's not a big deal, right? You know? Although I do get it. Janae, uh, girlfriend of the show, she will, uh, try to make fun of me, because when I mention something that happened in the 90s, you know, when I was in high school, yeah. uh, she will immediately tell me what what year of um, elementary school she was in at the time, because, to make it creepy, because, you know, naturally, the difference back then is so pronounced, right, and, yeah. uh, of course, now, you know, 39, you know, slightly less of a big deal, but, yeah, so, yes, you're really old, Dylan, um, I'm sorry, that's what we were getting to, that was the point. Very well, well, well
0: thank you thank you and so.
1: i know it's i know it's tragic
0: yes indeed
1: <laughs> i don't remember what took us there elvis faking deaths tupac oh yes we're back For yeah we're story. back
0: we're back With... and um like i said next week we're going to have tupac on the show um and elvis <laughs> and amelia Earhart. And it's going to be a great show.
1: Yeah, I don't think we can afford musical guests, uh, you know, the whole copyright issue, but we might be able to manage Amelia, right?
0: Yeah, I mean... She'd be
1: cheaper to bring on.
0: She'd be far cheaper to bring on. And I mean, given the fact that she was traveling at the speed of light when she crashed, I mean, it's
1: not like she's aged a day. The speed of light. I'm pretty sure that's exactly how fast the airplane went, right? Was that a thing? Was that what people would say? Sure. Sure. Okay, I wasn't sure. Or you're just making up stuff now. Because, I mean, if she hit anything at the speed of light... Kyle. the, the... Kyle.
0: When am I not making
1: stuff up? Um, I, You know, it's hard to tell sometimes. I see. you have a good, gruff delivery. This is true. This is true. This is true. Often when you're discussing music, you're being reasonably honest. Especially when you're reviewing it.
0: Well, that's true. I mean, it yeah. is music, yeah.
1: Speaking of music, what's your what's your current new favorite song since it's been so long?
0: Oh, uh, current new favorite song. Um, right. Boy, I mean, it's kind of more like, what are you listening to right now? Let's yeah, what are you listening to right now? And go see right. what I have on my Spotify's
1: right now. I've been listening to a lot of uh, folk lately. Really? Yeah, back getting a folksy. But like, you know, a, a bit more of the, the, you know, not like, Twangy, you know, bayou folk or anything, but more like you know, it's you know, it's got some good percussion. It's got, you know, it's kind of more like the, I don't know, somewhere in between Hugo and ZZ Ward sort of folk with a little bit of, um, gosh, I'd have to look at the playlist here. Building it up, I I don't know exactly. A lot of bit, a little bit of Hosier thrown in. Gothic, I guess, is what they're calling it. Southern Gothic. Sure. Why oh, not? Southern
0: Gothic. So you're talking like roots um, rock. Oh, Southern Gothic is yeah. I mean that's like um, um, boy, what is Southern Gothic? I mean that's like uh, drive-by truckers and stuff like that. Sure, we'll go with that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Handsome Families, another one.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Civil that sounds wars, right. Civil yeah.
1: wars for sure, definitely yes. Um, yeah. Hozier, like I was saying. Um, good stuff. So yeah, I've been doing a lot of that lately. You? Um, Let's see. What have I been listening to lately? Um, I've
0: been listening to a little bit of everything. The nice thing about Spotify is they do this little Discover Weekly thing where they run everything yeah. through and just kind of spit stuff at you. I do so like that. It's kind of a weird... It's kind of like getting a like a CSA box or something from the organic farmer where they just go, here's what we, here's what's in this week. And you're looking through it and you're like, oh, this is a really nice tomato. Um, oh, this is – what is this thing? It's sort of, sort of like that.
1: Yeah, you'll get such a weird mixture of vegetables, you have no idea what you're supposed to make. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my only problem with the Discover Weekly on Spotify is that – if you just listen to, say, like, even a certain playlist for a couple of weeks in a row, sometimes it might decide I'm only giving you songs for this genre. Yeah. Like, I, I was listening to some, to some Electronica for a bit, um, and uh, and if for the next, like, three weeks, it was nothing but, like, you know, here is some, you know, dirty dubstep or what have you. Listen to the whole playlist of nothing but that. And it's like, come on, Spotify. Diversify. You know I like more stuff than that. I have to wait, retrain wait. it after all that
0: would be useful if I could actually get a list of what I listened to today. But I never... I guess I go to Activity and find out. Possibly. I have no recent Activity. Okay, that doesn't... Yeah, neither do I. Thanks, Thanks Spotify. This is really helpful. Ah, You'd have to look at
1: good. Saved Songs, maybe. Browse your, your music, your songs, if you save songs.
0: So, um, according to this, I've been mostly listening to the Go-Betweens and Tragically Hip. Okay, that sounds good. Um there's a band out of Australia called Gang of Youth that's really gang of youths I mean youth you know youth that's actually pretty damn good for a straightforward little rock band. Um, and then you know a lot of electronic, a lot of folk I'm looking at my favorite songs of sixteen list right now um, yeah, I mean there's that case Lang Veers album which is really nice if you I mean you're into the folky thing now so you'll like that. Um, Blood Orange has a really nice, has a great new album out right now. Um, yeah, I, I, and I think that's it. And I mean, every once in a, I mean, I still actually, I've been getting more into pop lately and I'm not sure what to do with myself.
1: <laughs> I guess, I guess you have to, um, choose, choose the boy band of the moment and or, you know, uh, so TV show, you know, star. I don't know. I mean,
0: here's the weird thing, right? I mean, I always start with the, here's the weird thing, but...
1: Right. It'll turn out to be very normal.
0: The Bieber stuff lately isn't so bad. Yeah? That's not normal. You you, you pause there as if that isn't a normal thing to say.
1: You said the Bieber isn't so bad? The Bieber. The Bieber. That's, that's... Okay, so here's the thing. As a person... He definitely has exactly the kind of ego and behavioral problems that someone raised in a spotlight often ends up with, right? Mm -hmm. That's a given. But a lot of the collaborations he's been doing lately are pretty damn good.
0: That's the point. That's what I mean. It's like he's making good pop music right now.
1: Yeah, and whether or not it's his choices or it's his, his, his agents or producers or whatever, I don't know. But there is some good taste occurring right now
0: yeah and I mean it's it's kind of weird and crazy um, I will say that the current number one song in America this closer song it has to be the worst lyrics I've heard in a song <laughs> oh my god it's awful I mean jeez I mean the lyrics are like you—you you got a, you got a rhyming dictionary out <laughs> and you're trying to figure out what these things should rhyme with and you're just kind of flipping through them and you just end up with ridiculous things like oh god what's see now i have to go back to the internet again what are you doing to me i don't, I don't want to be I, on the internet anymore
1: i just well then get off the internet i was just asking some music questions because i know that we've got our main topic chosen but i thought it's been a while let's let's give our fans all, all three of them thank you for listening you know, guys. a uh, uh, catch up on, on what's obviously important to you, Dylan, which is music. I, I mean, okay, so and, so... and tabletop games, but we can get to that in a bit. So, here's
0: the weird thing, right? Um, so, back in the 1950s, Steve Allen hosted The Tonight Show, way, way back when he was the first host. And he did this... Thing where he basically just read the lyrics to Bebop Alula and talked about how stupid rock music was. And it, we all laugh at it now because, seriously, he was square doing that, right? <laughs> and yeah. then I actually read the lyrics for Closer. So the chorus goes, So baby, pull me closer in the backseat of your rover that I know you can't afford. Bite that tattoo on your shoulder Pull the sheets right off the corner of the mattress that you stole from your roommate back in Boulder. We ain't ever getting older. I mean, it's like, it's this bizarre word salad. I'm like, I'm reading this and I hear it in the voice of Trump, you know?
1: <laughs> you know, that would be um, actually really good, awesome, bad. Is someone like a good Trump impersonator reading pop song lyrics, and not like singing them, just trumping them out? You know, that yeah. would be that would be good. Bad. That's terrifying. Uh, yeah, and it is it is is um, dysfunctional, um, but uh, the, the, in a sense. But you know, it's in time with the music. It is funny how it seems that like lyrics are kind of a little more. And you know, I don't know. I think if you go back, I mean, even the Beatles in their boy band days were uh, pretty cheesy lyrically. And even weirder, you know. But uh, um, it, it it is funny how it is like kind of like the, the words just have to match the beat and make enough sense that you fill in the blanks.
0: I mean, the, the word, and I think part of it for me is Hamilton. Let's admit the truth, Hamilton.
1: Okay, Hamilton's amazing. Uh, I haven't seen it live like you, but I love it. But but
0: you read you you read Manuel Miranda's, you know, the hid the internal and the external rhymes and how things flip across one another. And then you read something like that and you're like
1: that's absolutely terrible. Well not everyone can be Lynn Manuel. Uh, it, it's 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 terrifying the level of genius that some people have compared to others. And it's also fascinating to see how well people can be very successful without that. And I'm not saying that the Chainsmokers, for example, lack talent, uh, but rather that you know clearly they're not up to the same lyrical masterwork as you know Lin Manuel, right? But Eh? They, they what, can, you know I mean, they
0: can they, they have a decent beat, but they have no words to go with them. Their words are meaningless, and that's the worst thing about it. It's just like they I, are. I, think... I mean, seriously, <laughs> by comparison. Bieber stuff, Beaver stuff reads like, get you know Frost or or Yates compared to this stuff, you know. Well, there and you go. And now I feel like Steve Allen, and I should be laughing at Bebopalula, you know. I'm old. This is Beaut- getting bad, and you've already made me feel old.
1: We're, okay, so we're okay, so old. I I've been uh uh in one of my random health anxiety, fear of mortality moments existential dread has kicked in angst so uh i uh i've been uh trying to get back into exercising again and i've been using a the exercise bike at the rec room because you know it's low impact and all that jazz well simultaneously good cardio blah 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 right Mm -hmm. and uh i've only been doing it for like four days now Mm -hmm. and uh my left hip is killing me today from Uh from riding a stationary bicycle okay uh (laughs) uh-huh (laughs) <laughs> uh-huh. And that's like, and, and I'm only 39, right? And I know we're not old. We're not old, Dylan. Uh, yes, a few thousand years ago, we would certainly be above the average age of death. But <laughs> but you know that was more about you know dying from black lung and you know tuberculosis than it was, uh, and and you know food scarcity and other diseases than it was you know the human body wearing out.
0: But uh we're white guys in America. We have another thirty years in us, you know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and yet, it feels kind of like I don't know if I if I can keep this up for thirty more years. You know,
1: <laughs> I mean, the ma- it's the maintenance that they don't tell you about, right? I you mean, the wor-
0: I mean, the worst thing, the worst discovery is learning that y- you go through life trying to be as low maintenance as possible, and then after a while, you discover that just staying alive is maintenance it's, it's like a good deal of work it's like how many pills do you take every day i'm up to two pretty soon i'll be up to four and then i'll be up to 12 and then i'll have one of those little things that sorts them out by 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 day and i take the pills every day and then i'll have the one that sorts it out by day and like time of day
1: right and you know I... you'll have the, the the breakfast lunch and dinner pills. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's pretty messed up. Right. And, uh, it's funny too, because, you know, we're like, we're at that age that realistic that no one warns you about this age, you know? Yeah. Like you'll have your grandparents tell you about what it's like to be in their sixties or seventies. you know, if they, if they made it that far, et cetera. And, uh, you'll have people complain about like severe old age issues or, you know, stuff like hip failure and all that. Right. Yeah. And then no one will just warn you about the inconveniences of even your upper thirties and early forties, right? And how like, by the way, all this you know, pain-free, you know, don't even think about it, simply living that you're used to. Yeah, that's off the shelf. You're, you're going to start noticing your body in ways you never noticed before. Just those basic levels of things, right? Mm-hmm. You know, or yeah, you can't carry that weight anymore <laughs> if you want to make it you know, another 10 years or what have you, you know, that kind of thing. It's like, you know, all, all those wake up calls and we're not even talking disasters. We're just talking like, yeah, you're just wearing down. <laughs> it's like so soon. I know. I, was, I wasn't even, it's like, I wasn't even working that hard at wearing down, you know, it's like, not like I've been uh, running marathons or, uh, you know, playing professional football and, you know, getting my bones crunched together. It's funny. And yet, you know, and yet we have something to complain about, which I guess says a lot about the human condition. Yeah. So so that's great. Um, now, that I've, now, that, now that we've done that, we should probably uh, escape Hatch from the old man conversation that music started. Note to self, asking Dylan about music will remind him that he's old.
0: Well, I am old.
1: Right? Uh, yeah, no. No, oh, no. No, 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 no. We're fine. apparently only officially middle-aged
0: okay then, I'm only officially middle-aged. And
1: some of my friends refuse to allow me to be middle-aged. And I'm like, don't Uh get me wrong. I would love to be living at least twice this age and then some. But, you know, averages, guys. Alright, so, um... On that depressing note, we had a tech topic today, didn't we?
0: Yeah, I thought we could actually talk about some stuff. So...
1: Yeah, it's cool. Uh, I'm gonna let you lead this one, because I think you have more insight uh, slash opinion that immediately comes to mind because of the topic matter.
0: Yeah, so um, there's a piece that came out yesterday um, from Mina Markham on the UI pattern library that the Hillary Clinton campaign's been using. And I wanted to talk about it because I've been around frameworks, pattern libraries, all these things for quite a while. And I have lots of comments on how these things work. And And a couple of things struck me about how it worked for them. But I thought this is a good thing we can hang on the Dylan's going to go off on a huge run about how stupid um, UI pattern library frameworks can get if the wrong people do it.
1: <laughs> Which is great. Um, before we go too far in, though, I really want to celebrate the name that they chose.
0: Yes, we should celebrate it. Because if you're going to have a UI library for Hillary Clinton, you need to have something that evokes what you think of when you say Hillary Clinton. And <laughs> obviously, naming it email server in in bathroom closet is just too damn long.
1: <laughs> I, I, I was wondering if you're going to go there. But uh, yeah, and, and uh, pantsuit is just such a wonderful, uh, self-deprecating name for it. That's very humorous. I love it.
0: It's, it's, it's just genius. I mean, it's so, yeah.
1: And there's uh, a lot of structure to a pantsuit.
0: I mean, the thing that really disappoints me is that you don't run Taylor or Seamstress to, to generate the code. <laughs> and if you want to run an update, you don't run him. So that
1: that would be pretty funny. That would that be, would be hilarious. I love it.
0: Um besides the fact that they actually had to so they were using um SMACSS and ITCSS which are both um these namespacing patterns um that are used to you know build, you know scope into classes. Um I just found it funny that um basically, it, instead of the, the what they were calling, in, in these frameworks what they call bang important classes are referred to as trumps.
1: Which is hilarious.
0: Um, but they couldn't refer to them as that, so of course, they called them alterations.
1: Right. Which,
0: which I'm just like, of course, because what do you get to do to a pantsuit?
1: Right, there, there's a great, there's a, it's like simultaneously good at telling you what it's doing, and fits so well. It's great. Um... So,
0: so, the three, so, okay, so there's three things I really liked about what they did. Okay. One is that it's completely markup independent. So, it means that they have the ability to collect all the pieces and they have the ability to put style on particular things independent of the markup itself. So, they can actually hold to the semantics of the content but provide a markup to it in ways that are completely avoid what you know the base system is and it's it's not just it's just not not just a CSS reset it's the whole idea of treating h1s as h1s you you, they,
1: be, you beat me to it it's brilliant yeah i mean i like the fact that yeah it's um As as a person, uh, you know, a front-end developer, I often end up having to struggle with the, uh, we'll generously call them UI pattern libraries that uh, some previous um, uh, partners and and clients have uh, uh, insisted on using on projects. And they often, it's not just the classes, it's classes in conjunction with very specific uh, elements, right? Mm -hmm. Specific markup. And of course, it'll it'll be great the way that they have it planned. Mm -hmm. And then they don't account for so many other situations that will arise. So you start ending up with some very unusual situations where you're using very tortured markup to get an effect because they don't want to add any new styles to the guide. Right. And so you're kind of forced to do some strange stuff. Sometimes even, you know, some, some things are definitely against best practices. And one of the small things that it's always really annoying me, but that I think is a big deal when it comes to accessibility is the, uh, or at the very least, readability is the whole obsession of headers being used by some people, where the type of header dictates the design of the header. Yeah. Right. So an H1 is a size. So you may have an H1 following an H4 because of the way the page is visually designed, but not mm-hmm. because of the importance of the content of the page. Yeah. Right. Which just drives me bananas. And you're. And so I'm sorry, I just overrode you there by by agreeing with you. But I I love that they avoided that trap. And then specifically yeah. went the other direction.
0: And, and, it, and it's, you know, it's a, it's one that you can easily fall down into, right? I mean, I've seen it happen so many times. And it's just beautiful how they've been able to avoid that, right? Um, so, and, and, and the other thing I'll say is this is exactly what we've been talking about for the last 15 years. The need to separate content from style. I mean, this this is what we've been arguing for. And it's funny to finally see somebody take it to the final extreme, which is saying beyond beyond just a simple reset, we're just going to essentially treat style as something completely separate from the markup itself. And now you can put it on anything. And suddenly, suddenly things become interesting um, in a very weird way. Because, I mean, even even as someone who designs, who still does design, I'm I'm very used to having a hierarchy, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to kind of get to that spot where it's like, well, we can't really control how you code, but we can't control how you style. And we can force you to create semantic documents. We can't force you to, st- we can't make you not style them the way, whatever the way you want to, but we're going to limit the toolkit and we're going to tell you to use this toolkit. So at least the things that you choose 80, 90% of the time, aren't going to go off the reservation. So it's, it's really nice. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they talk a lot about the accessibility, the the fact that they have a, they're meeting, you know, WCAG 2 AA mainly because of that fact, right? That they're, they're so focused on getting the content right and getting the content semantic, that that they can worry and the fact that the style is separated they can worry less about the problems of the semantics and worry more about the interactions and the colors so and the keyboard accessibility which is beautiful and i mean and they're using i mean it looks like they're using node for a lot of this stuff so are they did they mention that? um it seems like they're at least using node uh, using a K, uh, uh, node implementation of KSS and oh yeah KSS node yeah and there the you documentation. go which so, I think is great. So third point is the thing that drives me nuts about frameworks and the thing that drives me nuts about style guides and pattern libraries and all these other things is the documentation
1: because yes it,
0: it is it is incredibly frustrating to get someone who builds this framework and then doesn't document anything in it and then distributes it and then only halfway through using it you discover it actually is half baked but it was never documented that it was half baked because no one ever documented it period or when they do document it they do it in hard code stuff and whatever blah 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 the beauty of a system like this is to be able you know to be able to actually parse in you know, they point out that you know they're actually parsing the comment. KSS node is actually parsing the comments out of the CSS and using them to generate the content for the documentation. I'm like, wow, that's that's gorgeous. I mean, it actually is pulling the, it's actually pulling the comments from the code and actually using them in the act in the in the actual descriptive in the actual um you know descriptive site that they use to to talk about all the different kinds of buttons etc cetera, etc cetera. i mean it, this is so i mean they're obviously using smacss and itcss and i mean it, it all really that plus atomic design really pushed us hard towards we need to think smaller we need to think bolder and we need to find a way to lock these things together so that we can actually show these styles. But it's. It's kind of amazing to see them throw something together. Very, and this isn't a apparent. I mean, this is a campaign, right? This, this isn't like you and the designer spending a week, you know, spending twelve weeks working on this thing and arguing over colors. This was we have to get this out the door right now,
1: right? It was made, and they built it, know, yeah. They had to make it quick and probably, and by the sounds of it, you know, under duress of making other products at the same time, yeah. And yeah, no, it's, it is brilliant. Um, yeah, I, uh, I like seeing things like this and I like seeing high profile examples of it um, because, uh, you know, I have mixed opinions about pattern libraries. I do acknowledge that they are useful tools. I just so rarely have the fortune in my personal experience of uh, getting to work with a well thought out and well documented one, so it ends up being a frustrating tool instead, you know. Yeah. So, it's nice to see that, in fact, it can be good in practice instead of just good in theory.
0: Yeah, and in, and I'll, and I'll say, I mean, I've been, I've I've built the, you know, I've built Higgs, I've built pattern libraries, I have built design frameworks before. I've worked with people who've built them. I've watched all the mistakes. I'll say the one thing that you can do to make it work right, no matter what you do is to document it. If you can document it and you can build a way to, to document it in live code, then it's going to do a hell of a lot more, um, for making your framework lasting and useful than it is to not do that. And I will say that in, you know we we have i won't mention it um at my employer we have a there's a design framework that is used and one of the biggest struggles that i have had with it has been just how terrible it is at being documented it's not well documented there are a lot of just you know, there are a lot of spots where you just step right into a hole and fall down forever. Um, and the problem for them is their team is their team is so overly focused on writing code that they that they don't focus on doing the documentation, and they don't focus on answering the questions that designers actually have with it, such as, "Hey, I want to do blank. How do I do blank?" And the response we get from them is, well, we don't know, but it's probably like this. Okay, if we do it like that, what happens? We have no idea. But you should do it this way. Okay, so we looked at that, and we realized that that actually is broken. So you should probably do it this way based upon our design guidance. Then what we've been able to figure out, here's a sample of it. Oh, that's nice you should do it this way instead. Okay, why should we do it that way? Well, because we say so. Okay, will you document it? We will uh, eventually. And so that whole conversation kind of turns into we built a design library, we built a we built a a pattern system. You will do what we say. You will um not do as we do and you want to document it. Documented? Well, we'll get to that, but it's so low in our priorities. And I'm like, by the way, this is a team that asks over and over again, why doesn't the rest of the organization just follow what we do? <laughs> I
1: suppose it would be helpful if they actually knew, huh?
0: You would think you would think I just,
1: Oh my God. But yeah, but yeah, um. Yeah, no, uh, documentation. Uh, document your code, document your code, document your code. Uh, proper documentation, and I don't just mean like comments inside the code, although do what you can, is great. Self-documenting code is even better. It's great to see um, that happening for some people. I wish it happened more in environments. I've been. I recently have a client that we're working with on a major project who uh, has a fully documented API. You hit yeah. the API and full documentation what to send in what to get out you know uh test examples if it's a post they actually have a post form built into it so you can test it right then and there instead of having to write up test code yourself to do it it's just it's 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 wonderful and it's it's rare it's funny how rare that is uh, especially um in the shape of the response for you know what i'm doing often it's like oh you'll get this but it doesn't describe the shape of the object that kind of thing um Obviously, a different kind of scenario than they've got here for yeah. uh, you know an API, but you know, uh, like just their their button example that they have documented alone already shows a great deal of thoroughness, which is probably really convenient for the developers and designers that are making use of the product. So, and I do like that they've got the accessibility bits. You know, everything from color to uh, you know order of content to use of uh, markup semantically. You know, the kind of things that uh, dramatically improve the accessibility of a product even if it's not perfect you know yeah it's like the low hanging fruit that everyone should be working for like the minimum even is uh uh surprisingly well outside of other people's reach
0: you know and it does surprise me uh, it's i mean i i would understand as a designer i would understand designers struggling with explaining to developers how the design should work because designers speak in design and coders speak in code I would Mm -hmm. get that what I find amazing is when coders struggle with this because they can't even speak to it in code and I'm like that that's that's not even an excuse I mean (laughs) if you're not you know the only person around who can document the code that you're writing right now is you and if you're not willing to document it you're not willing to explain it then what will happen is you will forever be welded to that piece of code. Now, that's great. You have a job for the rest of your life. But you know what the job is for the rest of your life? Fixing that that little bit of code over and over again.
1: Which is a developer's nightmare. You know, it's like they always say is, you know, write code like you'll be the poor bastard that has to fix it in three years. But you really don't want to be that guy anyway. Uh, Yeah, yeah, it's uh, fascinating how poorly code is documented because commenting... In the code, there's plenty of standardized formats like JS code, for example, which I obviously use, JS doc, I mean, and, uh, you know, there's stuff in other formats and a lot of compiling or publication tools will strip the comments out, you know, so that way you don't have anything going client side that's going to add up to the bulk of the website, right, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's not like that's going to interfere, but it just doesn't happen. And then you'll ask, hey, what is this? Even a month later, most people will be like, oh, uh, and they have to step through the code. And, yeah, you can get through it a little bit by intelligently naming your functions and trying to write the code clearly as possible instead of taking shortcuts. But really, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's 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 not a lot of extra effort to even get to a basic amount of fluency with what you're going to get from it. But it is surprising how few people actually bother with that.
0: Yeah, I I think
1: – At least that's my experience
0: yeah I mean the problem is is designers right I mean designers had the same damn problem to me, which is yeah one of our great struggles is we have to communicate to coders, especially what we expect <laughs> to have happen and this goes back to one of those those things like we don't designers shouldn't code or designers should code it's like that's not even a good question i'm I'm actually kind of getting tired of hearing that what mm. I believe is I believe now two things one is is that designers should know how code is created, built, maintained, destroyed. They need to know the process of building and how building happens. So, um, you know, I, I, um, I find them to be, how do I say this? I don't believe that you can be a good designer if you don't understand the tools that are used to build the thing that you have. I also believe that um, as a de- as a designer, you need to be able to understand how to translate your design into a language that the developers understand as well. And if you can't do that, then you're not ever going to be a good designer, right? Hmm. Um, and that—I mean—that's the other thing I find amazing—is just how many designers are so terrible at translation. And I'm like, your entire point of your existence is translation, because you're translating what's happening, what the user is doing, feeling, experiencing, into something that evokes the interaction, evokes the service that you're trying to design.
1: Right. Like the communication of an experience is the entire part of it. Of it. So it can be weird. When they fail to communicate, the creation of that experience. Yeah, you know? it's like it, it, it's. And I don't think it's a, it's an inability, honestly. Um, I think, in when it's either direction, whether it's coders talking to coders, coders talking to designers, designers talking to coders, or designers talking to designers, uh, I think it's a lack of cross-discipline respect, mm-hmm. a lack of, a lack of caring to understand the other person's fluency and uh, the problems that they have ownership of that you may not be immediately aware of, you mm-hmm. know? And and I think that's what happens. It's like, oh, I I made pretty pixels, just make it work. And they don't even understand how it's being made to work in some cases, in which case it's incredibly frustrating because you're trying to explain why you can or cannot do that or why this decision is going to involve a lot of extra money versus this decision, you know? And And, and instead... And being able to explain the importance of it or why it's, you know, a high value decision to make, you know, vice versa and all that. And, of course, it goes the other way up. You know, coders being unable to explain their code or the problems that they're having with designers is just as acute of an issue. And I think really it comes down to is it's not like we need to learn each other's disciplines. Like you said, a, a designer doesn't need to code. Uh, I I am bored with that sort of ass, assertion Did should designers be coders. It's like I think that's less important than should designers know how to communicate with coders, like you said. You know, it just it sums up. It's like they need to be able to communicate with each other, understand each other, yeah. you know. Yeah, I, and I guess that comes down to stuff like libraries like this, you know, the ability to communicate. Well, it has to, yeah.
0: And and you know, I'm not trying to be a downer. The thing is, <laughs> that's okay.
1: You, you follow your own natural arc of you know slowly not, finding a reason that all is well. One of the things that well. I've talked
0: about is when I'm looking at trying to find someone who looks like a senior designer right one of the things i'm looking for mm-hmm. is do they speak more than one language and by that i mean do they speak something that's not designer can they speak developer right can they speak business can they speak um researcher i'm looking for that that other i'm looking that to see sense. if they have more than one
1: language right Right, which can then speak to the kind of experience they've. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, that seems like it's a valuable thing to look for. And it probably should go the other way with developers, too. A lot of times people will be, like, doing, you know, coder purity testing for uh, determining, you know, the seniority of a coder is, you know, what do you know? How well can you do it? What can you do with this gnarly thing? And it's like I don't really think senior developers are necessarily better coders. I think to an extent they are, because they fall into less traps. They catch their bugs earlier. You know, they know why you do something, they just don't do it, as opposed to just doing it. But, you know, they also understand then how to apply what they know to the other fields around them, you know, or at least in communication with them. So I think that's true of anyone in that discipline.
0: Yeah, I mean, and and that—that's the thing—is. See, there's that old the old story about the guy who walks down the street and falls and falls down the manhole. Um, Then the next day, um, knows it's there, and falls down the manhole. The next day, um, walks around the manhole, and the next day takes a different street. And I'm like, that to me is is that's learning and that's beginning to understand. You know, recognizing what's coming and recognizing what what is what is happening, and I I think that's what I look for in a designer is somebody who has that ability to communicate, translate, and it's you know one of the things I'm trying to write right now is a piece on exactly how many years does it take to really be a senior designer, and my response to that has been it really doesn't matter because it's really about at what point do you show all the? Can you punch all the buttons on the experience card that I can call you a senior? And it's it's that ability to speak a different language, ability to drive a project, being able to take criticism, being able to give criticism, being able to being able to force um, you know being able to force a, a conversation to happen. Um, and do it in a way that's not going to piss anybody off, you know. The, the, that and the ability to to just be generous and 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 giving in what you do and empathetic, um, all while understanding that um, sometimes you're going to have to be a hard ass, and you know, being being somebody who's going to hold and hewed to the best idea, but is also going to be the one who is going to help forge the compromise that gets gets to, gets to done. And you know, those are all things that I think every every designer needs to learn. I mean, developers, it's a similar sort of set of things. It's like you, you learn your mistakes, you learn how to do things, and eventually you start to become good enough that you can start teaching others. and And that's the other thing I really want to see is. At what point are you are you good enough that you can begin to take what you have and teach somebody else how to do it better? And how good are you at doing that? Because you need to build organizations where you just don't have um, an egotistical develop, uh, egotistical genius developer at the top, and then everybody else having to follow along with what they do. You know, even as they lead somebody over the cliff. You know, are they open? Do they hold their knowledge openly? do they admit that they're ever wrong cuz i am often wrong oh i am often wrong so um i feel like i'm 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 giving up i'm giving a soapbox speech for something <laughs> completely off of where we started from but yeah such Probably. is the way with me i guess
1: uh, that, that's that's how you do it and i think that indicates that we're we're coming to the natural conclusion of the topic i think we are
0: and i think we can actually you know, call it good then.
1: Yeah, we're at, we're at the Hobson threshold. We hit we hit the right topic. It's good. Um, hey, but this is great because now we get a we get to end with our end sequence, and everything that we say will be true. Instead well, of you know we we have all this and that and it's not set up yet. Blah blah blah.
0: Oh, you mean like we're actually finally back on the web? Yeah. Uh, at squoose.me, s q u o o s e me, where you can find all of the lovely um, podcasts that we've managed to salvage through SoundCloud um, and listen to them and stream them directly to your to your local work device. You can also find us on SoundCloud at squirrel-and-moose. hyphen Yeah, I'm sorry. I probably shouldn't have had the hyphens, but
1: that was some other guy who does EDM crap. I don't know about that person. <laughs> Um, so, so include the hyphens, unless you want to listen to some crappy EDM, in which case, you know.
0: And um, I need to check again. Um, this actually may not be true yet, but we will also be on iTunes very, very soon. Um, and Sweet. You can just, and you can just do a search for Squirrel and Moose, and you should be able to find us again with our lovely new Woo-hoo! green squirrel and moose, which are no longer cartoonish. Um, we've never left Twitter, uh, Podcast. Um, or the hashtag Squoose, S Q U O S E. I am Dylan W. On Twitter, he is C S Squirrel, C S S Q U I R R E L, two S's, not three. And we also have that Facebook thing, but I think it's mostly for spelling bees.
1: It, yeah, you know, it's just really important. you got to get ready for the season.
0: Absolutely. So <laughs> it, it's what it is. and It is what it is. And I can. Currently confirm that um, we are back. Woo. Somehow, some way, we are back. Now the old, now we're not called what we probably <laughs> should be called because we have two things called Squirrel and Moose, and I cannot give any promises that the old Squirrel and Moose even works. But I can give promises that the new Squirrel and Moose works. If you well, click good. the link, it should come up. Literally, right now, I'm looking at the new Squirrel and Moose.
1: This is on the iTunes?
0: It is on the iTunes. Guys, it's on the iTunes. Folks, it's on the iTunes. Ladies and gentlemen, it's on the iTunes. Go to iTunes and you can find us. You can subscribe to us again. Stop calling me. (laughs) And, Eh. yeah. Now, we may also be on TuneIn. I submitted there, but... I don't know if we are. I can check that too as we sit here. All while Kyle currently checks in and sees what the age of Elvis is again. I think it's eighty-five. Um,
1: there you go. There you go.
0: And if you do a Good search, job. if you do a search for squirrel and moose on TuneIn, do you get us? The answer is, I really don't know. It appears not.
1: Now, now we had another. We had another service that denied us, right?
0: Yes. um, Spotify now offers podcasts. However, I discovered that at this point, they're not publicly taking podcasts. We're still, apparently, what they were looking for is evergreen material for millennials. And as we go back to the start of the show, we are not millennials. We are (laughs) Gen Xers. As Kyle's notable tweet of recently reminds us.
1: Yeah, that that one still surprised me. How much that blew up? Um, it's still got getting retweets, which is freaky. Um, only because I wish I could do that on purpose.
0: Yeah, I mean, going viral is just—it's just not a thing that you really have a lot of control over, man. So pity.
1: I could probably make some good money if I could virally tweet. I know. Get those mad sponsorships, you know, where suddenly I'm tweeting about Doritos.
0: That would be amazing, but you know how that goes. So yeah yeah such as life such is the I, life I would love it to be have, true but
1: I just guess I'm going to have to toil away on the day job and podcast at night like a rebel. Yeah,
0: well you know how it goes. I mean, you know, yeah, we make we make the money on the razors. Right? <laughs> exactly.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I I got it.
0: Yeah, something like that. Well, anyway, um <laughs> I think we have reached the natural conclusion of this cycle. Yep, so we
1: stretched it best we can.
0: I think we have we have beaten this thing to a, a logical conclusion, and we have mixed the metaphors well and served them on a on a canape. Okay, uh, I'll shut up now. I'm Dylan Wilbanks, and I'm Kyle Weems, and this has been Squirrel and Moose. Have a good week, and have a great night.